Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman and Robin, Aquaman, Black Vulcan, Samurai, Apache Chief, El Dorado. Together they form the world's greatest force, dedicated to truth, peace and justice for all mankind. These are the, the Superman of Screen. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 133 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode I'm going to be completing my coverage of the 1981 shorts. This would be season 6 of Super Friends, the third of three episodes covering uh, this particular uh, season. And this is going to be the last of the Super Friends that aired on American TV for quite a while. There is a three-year gap between new Super Friends episodes appearing on television during this time, uh... The next season, the 19, what we call the 1983 shorts, is, is referred to in America as the Lost Episodes, or the Lost Season, because it aired internationally, but didn't air in America until you know, sometime early in the 21st century. But that's not for another, you know, couple episodes going forward. Like I mentioned, this is the last particular episode dedicated to, I guess, what we can call Season 6 of 1981. It was a shortened season, so... Weeks five and six were the final episodes. They only managed to get out six half hours instead of the eight, as we saw in uh, season five, and and as we're going to see in season seven when I get to talking about that on the other side of Superman three. But before I get into the, the uh, business of this week's episode, I have feedback to address. First step is from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen episode one hundred and twenty-two. Dave writes. Greetings, Mike. Even though these are shorter episodes, I'm enjoying them. Like you, I love pretty much anything related to King Arthur, Camelot, and the Knights of the Round Table, so I enjoyed the Black Knight of Camelot, and the fact that it also plays on the Panic in the Sky idea of Superman smashing a meteor slash asteroid and ending up with amnesia made it even more fun for me. Certainly, villains will always take the opportunity to trick an, an amnesiac Superman into working for them, and the Superman with his powers but not in his right mind can be a dangerous tool. The Lord of Middle-Earth was a bit less fun for me simply because I'm less a fan of the Lord of the Rings books myself, but that's just a matter of opinion, and as one of my teaching colleagues would often remind me, De gustibus non est disputandum, I think that's how it's pronounced, which is Latin for... In matters of opinion, there is no disputing. I choose to believe that the whole adventure was just Gleek's dream, since, as you pointed out, Gleek saves the day in this one, and that's just not in the realm of actual possibility, as far as I'm concerned. Thanks, as always, for this podcast. It's always a fun listen. Live long and prosper, Dave. All right, Dave, so, you know, as usual, thank you for writing in. I really don't have a ton to add to what Dave uh, wrote in. I've said everything I need to say, or really want to say, about the Knights of the Round Table, or... The Black Knight of Camelon, and I even have less to say now about the Lord of Middle-Earth episode, just full of Lord of the Rings uh, type of lore. And to be honest, I don't, I don't even really remember the uh, other episodes that were in that without looking back and uh, look, looking at the list. Just these seven-minute shorts uh, are just not memorable. I mean, if you point to any of the episodes that take place in some of the other seasons, I might be able to recall them a little bit more, but I don't know. Just These shorts are very difficult to look back on in any kind of meaningful way there's not a lot of substance to them and you know and honestly it makes it a difficult to podcast about them especially in a solo setting when there's just like i said not really a ton to discuss as far as these episodes go very on the surface and very lacking in depth at least as far as these seven minute episodes go so i'm going to move on i have some other feedback this is uh was posted in the uh, two true freaks facebook group this is from uh christopher uh wallet i think that's how his name was spelled. Christopher, if I am mispronouncing your name, please uh, let me know. And Christopher wrote that he 
I just hate it. It was all a dream, even with the or was it type stinger. Yeah, I do agree with that. That is a big complaint of mine. I mean, as Dave mentioned, the Gleek uh, saving the day is not within the realm of possibility. But I guess if even if he kind of blunders into saving the day, that is uh, a possibility. But yeah, if Gleek is to save the day, I'd rather see Gleek just save the day and uh, kind of let it stand uh, to uh, make the viewer ponder whether or not it's a dream. It's kind of a cheap way out. So. I'm uh, not a fan of that either, and I'm also not a fan of other cop-outs, and, you know, usually the ones that involve time travel, where the uh, return trip is done in such a way as the adventure uh, never happened. You know, you see that quite a bit in time travel-related stories. And that's going to be, down the line, one of my complaints about the Tempest Fugitive episode of Lois and Clark when I get to that in uh, a few years. So, before I move on, I have uh, one more uh, piece of feedback I want to get to. This actually came in... uh, a couple of days ago, it's not about any particular episode, so I thought I'd rush this to the top. This is from a new listener, uh, Thomas Meehan, or Meehan. Again, if I'm uh, mispronouncing your name, please uh, let me know. And uh, Thomas writes, Hello, I'm a new listener and I'm loving the podcast. Keep up the great work. Will you be discussing Superman 2, 3, and 4, Superman the Animated Series, and Smallville? Also, will you continue to discuss Batman, or will you be creating its own podcast? Thanks for reading this. Sincerely, Thomas. Well, thank you, Thomas, for writing in. And uh, first and foremost, uh, welcome aboard. I, uh, I'm i curious to find out if you're picking it up with current episodes or if uh, you've gone back to the beginning. Uh, you know, just, uh, you know, if you uh, feel inclined to, uh, let me know. And uh, I'm always curious to see how people uh, find uh, find the show and uh, where they start when they, uh, you know. You know, at this point, the episode, the podcast is 133 episodes deep. So, I mean, I'm curious if people pick up with the current episodes and backtrack if they uh, decide if they decide to or do they uh cherry pick uh the episodes they want to listen to as far as some of the uh questions uh thomas has asked uh obviously uh this is episode 133 superman 2 was episodes 129 and 130 so the answer to obviously to superman 2 is yes i will be covering that and i will complete the uh, christopher reeve films i plan to cover superman the animated series and the ask about smallville as well he's not the first person to ask about smallville and I am still non-committal about Smallville, not because I think it's a bad show. I think I'm enjoying it more now on second watch as, as I watch along with uh, Trinus Magnus Punches Reality, he's doing his uh, Smallville retrospectives. And I don't want to get into a lot of my thoughts about Smallville now, but bottom line, this is a long podcast with a damn near impossible mission to talk about the adventures of Superman from beginning to present day on the screen over the course of 80-ish years and... You know, life sometimes gets in the way. It's gotten in the way of this podcast before. And, you know, I just recently came off a very long break because of life. And I'll be honest, I'm amazed I've gotten as far as uh, I I did in the short time that I've been doing. I mean, well, short time uh, relative to other podcasts that have been out there for 10 or so years. I've only been doing this for about three years. But when I started out, the Christopher Reeve movies seemed so far away. And here I am, an episode away from covering superman 3 so i'm not i mean obviously the goal was set uh, and i have a a document on my computer that takes me through the first two seasons of justice league the uh, the animated series and i mean that's just kind of where i stopped the document because honestly to go any further than that is kind of ridiculous at this point that takes me into 300 some odd episodes and here i am at 133 i mean there's still a lot to go before i have to decide on smallville after Obviously, after the Super Friends 
there's the Ruby Spears cartoon, there's the Superboy series, Lois and Clark, and right there on the other side of Lois and Clark, kind of overlapping with Lois and Clark, is Superman the Animated Series. And my goal is to get to Superman the Animated Series. I mean, I have no idea what life will be like when I get to Superman the Animated Series. That's still several years away. I'm hoping as I get into better material, the fire will uh, kick up a little bit. Because I will be honest, as far as the Super Friends coverage goes, I'm getting through it. (laughs) It's basically what I'm doing. These are not great episodes. I'm not enjoying really watching them. At least these short ones. I imagine I'm going to feel differently when I get to uh, the Legendary Superpower show and uh, Galactic Guardians seasons 8 and 9. And I haven't seen the Ruby Spears stuff since it was on. The same with the Adventures of Superboy. So I'm really looking forward to getting into that stuff. Because that would be the first time I've seen that stuff since it was on. And then there's Lois and Clark and uh, Superman the Animated Series. With which I kind of came in on the ground floor. So I'm definitely looking forward to covering that stuff. And then once you get to like 2000, the content doesn't mean as much to me. I wasn't always a fan of Smallville. It did some things that I disagreed with. but And I got very impatient with Smallville as it kind of just at that time seemed to uh, meander on and on. As I'm kind of doing right now. But uh, one thing I, I have to decide after I pass Superman the Animated Series is at what point does a retrospective podcast stop becoming retrospective? And when I start covering stuff that I missed, like Superman and the Legion of Superheroes and other stuff that Superman might have been in that I'd be watching for the first time, even now is not as retrospective as it could be. It was very retrospective with the Adventures of Superman. But since I finished my coverage of the, the George Reeves show and really... Until I get to season three of Superboy, it's a lot of stuff I haven't seen in decades, if I've seen it at all. And I'm just going through it and watching it and kind of, I don't have as much of attachment to stuff that I'm doing right now and stuff that I will appear, that appear, that kind of happens on the other side of the year 2000. So I've always said that if I get to Superman, the animated series, and I'll be satisfied. How I feel when I get to that point, if I feel like going on at that point, the option is always there, but there is... A lot of material to cover before I have to make that decision, so stick around with me, Thomas, as long as this goes. And as far as the last question, will I continue to discuss Batman, or will I be creating its own podcast? Batman is not getting his own podcast. Uh, Just keeping up with this one Superman show is a bear, a lot to handle, and I will cover Batman as he intersects with Superman throughout the course of history. There is Man of Screen Extra, which is kind of my uh, free-for-all. I kind of talk about anything I want. The last couple of episodes with Justice League and uh, Shazam. So any Batman coverage in the main Man of Screen podcast would be as it connects with Superman. I mean, I'm not going to be doing an episode-by-episode on Batman 66 or Batman the Animated Series. So hope I'm not not disappointing you there, Thomas. But this was conceived as a Superman uh, through the ages show. And I just don't have the same passion for the Batman material as I do for Superman. Personal preference. Um, there are shows out there that do that and probably do that better than I would. So it's not that I don't like that stuff. It's just this is kind of where I cho- I've chosen to focus. But there will be Batman as an intersect with Superman. I don't know the, when this episode drops off the top of my head, but uh, I am planning uh, coverage for the 30th anniversary of Batman 89. So uh, you can look forward to that if it hasn't come out already. I'm trying to do these as in advance as I can. So I'm not exactly sure where this episode falls on the calendar. So, yeah, that's kind of the answer to that question. Again, thank you, Thomas, for writing in. Welcome aboard. I hope to hear from you some more as uh, we go forward. Now, at this point, I think I've rambled enough. I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and then I'm going to come back and uh, get into uh, the end of uh, this particular season. Hang around, folks. Hello, podcast listener. Do you like... Ready to form Voltron! 
or maybe how about Or, this is a job for Superman. Do you remember? Power Rangers! Or this? Right away, Michael. Or maybe even this? Autobots, transform! How about this? By the power of Grayskull! Or maybe... For the honor of Grayskull! Or have you seen the latest episode of... I'm the Doctor. If you answered yes to any of these questions, then check out Charlie's GeekCast, hosted by me, Charlie Niemeyer. I'm bringing the show back to talk about all the things I enjoy. Comics, movies, TV shows, video games, and more. New and classic episodes can be found at 2TrueFreaks.com and Charlie'sGeekCast.com, as well as anywhere you get your podcasts. So check out Charlie's GeekCast. You'll enjoy it. Or your money back. All right, welcome back, folks. All the episodes in this segment had an original broadcast date of October 24th, 1981. And we're going to start with the Iron Cyclops. And all of our synopses are brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Superman, Black Vulcan, and the Atom go to planet Zeron to confront an ironclad Cyclops that is trying to steal Earth's gravity. So the Iron Cyclops lives on Zeron, a planet with no gravity. That explains why he wants ours. That's right, super friends. Great neutrons, Superman. The Iron Cyclops has an electron militia. You're not the only ones with fire. The Iron Cyclops awaits you. That red ball of energy must have been... <laughs> Right, Superman! Red kryptonite energy! <laughs> Soon that puny hall of justice will explode! And all the Earth's gravity will be mine! And while I'm at it, I'll collect their superpowers and add them to my storage cells! When they do defeat the giant robot, they find the operator to be smaller than the atom. That gravity ray is as dead as a doornail now. Oh no! My Iron Cyclops! Defeated! My hopes for dominating the universe! Dashed! Itsy, is it? Good work, Adam. Looks like you can handle it from here. Hmm. Big villains sometimes come in small packages. Let's head home, Superman. I'll see you back at the Hall of Justice after I've delivered Itsy to the cosmic authorities. See you back on Earth, Adam, where it's no longer a matter of gravity. Okay, so here we go. We got some uh, Super Friends versus a uh, robot action here. And uh, it starts off in Metropolis, which is threatened with ruin by a bad thunderstorm. You gotta watch out for those thunderstorms, especially this time of year. And one of the things it does is it knocks the spire right off a skyscraper. Kind of uh, reminiscent of Superman 2 when uh, Pyre of, uh, I guess you want to call it the Empire State Building, falls down on what we think is going to be a woman and a child. So... Basically, what it looks like is we've got a two-ton truck caught in an anti-gravity pole. And this purple beam looks as though it's an alien ship performing an abduction. And it's just kind of pulling stuff up toward it. And it's nice to see that we're not using a stock shot of the Hall of Justice here. If we are added into the background was the purple beam. So 
you could definitely see that the uh, events of this episode are affecting our shot of the Hall of Justice. And apparently the Iron Cyclops is stealing gravity. How exactly that works, I don't know. I don't actually think it's possible to steal gravity. I mean, maybe uh, some kind of outside force can work on the Earth and stop the rotation and end gravity, but gravity is not a thing that exists uh, in quantities that you can steal and bring somewhere else. At least not as I understand it. But this, the Iron Cyclops wants everyone off the off the Earth, so... Uh, you know, it's good that uh, at least uh, he's getting rid of people. He's giving them the opportunity to leave if they have the ability, which, as we know, in the early 80s, people do not. And now that the beams have multiplied, they have taken a good chunk out of Metropolis. And uh, Superman is just kind of flying around and trying to put things back down. You know, it's like uh, trying to stop a water from coming through a dam by sticking your finger in the hole. Eventually, you're going to run out of fingers, and the water is going to come through. So, uh, Batman is uh, on the computer at the Hall of Justice, and he seems to get control of the beam. But at first, it seems as though it was trying to steal the Hall of Justice. Apparently, uh, if he focuses the beam on the Hall of Justice, the beam won't be able to mess around with the rest of Metropolis too much. So, we're going to find out here that the Iron Cyclops lives on Xeron, which has no gravity. So, hence why they're trying to steal Earth's gravity. But again, it is not possible to transfer gravity. And we're going to find that these aliens seem to have some electrical powers. And then somehow Superman is hit by a red kryptonite beam. They just seem to have uh, taken away Superman's powers. We don't get the uh, speech here about how uh, red kryptonite affects Superman in uh, unpredictable ways. It just uh, wipes out his uh, powers for the, for now. So it looks as though they are caught in some kind of electrical grid. And the atom uh, somehow has collected energy and... Uh, reconstituted Superman and Black Vulcan who uh, kind of uh, were transformed into uh, wraith-like creatures. So there's that. So now they're trying to give her this gravity back and they're basically just tearing up the joint. I'm not sure if that's the way to uh, restore the gravity to Earth, but this is the uh, method we're going with. And uh, on Earth, the Hall of Justice seems to be losing the battle with the gravity ray and eventually it's uh, pried loose from its foundation. Like I said, not really much to this episode, just a big battle with the robot. Super so Superman and the Atom find that the Iron Cyclops is electronically controlled and there is a tiny little alien hiding in the monster i mean really tiny like like the synopsis said smaller than the atom which can be just about as small as he wants so adam calls the creature little man and he takes exception to it not that adam has the moral authority to call anyone little man but perhaps his uh, small size is an issue for uh this this uh, little alien and maybe he's oversensitive but his name is really on the nose first name itsy perhaps his last name was bitsy but he's not a spider. Name is up, little man. My name's not little man. You, you, you shot off super friend. My name's Itsy, and you better watch out. Words are cheap, Itsy. So the Adam takes him out of the Iron Cyclops, and Itsy is uh, distraught over the uh, ruination of his plans to uh, dominate the universe, because that seems to be all of these uh, alien villains are into. And Aquaman takes him to the Cosmic Authorities, and everyone is going to take an opportunity to make a bad uh, a bad pun. So another really substandard episode. It's just, like I said, just hard to get excited about these stories. So now uh, we'll move on to Paulette's Perils. And our synopsis is as follows. Artist Jean Paulette creates monsters out of paintings to steal artifacts. Excellent! Excellent! The perfect crime committed by one of my own creations! I will have the richest collection of artifacts in the world! Now, to put more of my creatures to work! As El Dorado and Wonder Woman investigate the thefts, they are sidetracked by a painting monster at the Hall of Justice. They figure out Paulette's scheme, so they go to his art studio and defeat him. You don't appreciate my art! Not at all, Paulette. But we do know what we like. See, and it's not the art of robbery. 
right, so here we go. We've got Art Gone Wild. And uh, the episode starts at an art gallery, and the art is uh, coming to life. And we've got some kind of bear-like creature that's stealing, looks like some kind of idol or totem. And, of course, the security guard calls the super friends. Are there no authorities that handle these things? Does he have no superior officers? Is there no chief of security? Must we go right to the superheroes? Fortunately, El Dorado and Wonder Woman are home at the Hall of Justice, and El Dorado is the master of understatement, saying, This sounds like a most unusual robbery. So now we're at Paulette's pictures, and apparently he commissioned this creature, which is his creation, to steal the idol, and he's putting more creatures to work. So he's creating these things out of paint, and they're going to work for him, committing his crimes, which means more robberies. So Eldorado responds to one robbery, and he's run over by some kind of oversized aquatic lizard. Wonder Woman and Eldorado can talk, can talk telepathically, and he's reporting on the, uh, the second robbery. So Paulette, who looks very French with his thick chin beard and thin mustache, and he's mad at the lizard and destroys him with some paint solvent. So, Wonder Woman and Eldorado have no idea what's going on, and Eldorado mentions an Aztec exhibit, which if you remember the previous appearance of Eldorado, that is right up his alley. And now the uh, they get a delivery from Jean Paulette, as the museum has an Aztec treasure. So, Paulette, the ultimate collector, I guess, needs to have this for himself, and he has to have it by any and all means necessary. So, uh, Paulette brings the monster to life, and it picks a fight with Wonder Woman, because she's there. And Wonder Woman surmises that Paulette is bringing the creatures to life to steal for him, which is the perfect deduction, because we've seen that before in the episode. You know, these episodes are seven minutes long, so we don't have a lot of time for the Super Friends to be wrong, nor do we have a lot of time for them to take time figuring things out. Now, some kind of uh, flying monster is coming after El Dorado, and he teleports. That seems to be the only trick he knows. That and throwing his opponent into a wall. And it grabs the, a golden disc and Wonder Woman ropes it. So now El Dorado unveils his other trick, hologram vision. So he can make people see things that aren't there. Just he- So now Paulette is going to destroy this creature, or so he thinks. But Wonder Woman and El Dorado show up with the latter coming up with a bad painting into a corner pun. Because if there's one thing in the show we need, it's more bad puns. And now, more monsters are after the duo and Paulette thinks he's in the clear. These guys always think they're in the clear and they never are. So now Eldorado is using the old noggin, and he uh, grabs some, the paint solvent and defeats the creature that way. And then uh, Wonder Woman uses her much-storied roping abilities to um, reel uh, Paulette in like a fish. And they don't appreciate the art of robbery. Yeah, you know. I've got nothing that I haven't said before, so I'm just not going to say anything. Another meh episode. You know, I mean, I don't even want to know if I want to say that. I mean, it's enjoyable for seven minutes, but this is the Super Friends. This is the Justice League. Even if we've got unknown characters like uh, Eldorado, Samurai, Apache Chief, and Black Vulcan, which to me is still a, a Black Lightning ripoff. I come to this show because I want to see the whole team, not uh, seven minutes of an A-lister and a C-list. With that being said, let's move on to Colossus. And our synopsis is as follows. Superman and Apache Chief stop a giant alien from walking off with Earth in a bottle. You, this hunting grounds of Colossus... Treat Earth like one of your playthings, Colossus. All cosmos is mine. You are too big for your own good, Colossus. This shrink ray will trim you down to size. Make it small! After Apache Chief shrinks the giant, the alien still causes trouble on Earth. In the end, though, the two heroes spin him out of the galaxy. Looks like we cut Colossus down to size, Superman. He won't be disturbing Earth again. Colossal work, Apache Chief. Your skills and powers triumph on a sizable job. 
this is one of those episodes that needs to be seen to, b- to be believed. Especially some of the animation, which starts with Colossus, a monster that walks through space. Space, the final frontier. Oh, sorry, la- lapsed into Star Trek for a minute. That just goes to show how engaged I am with these episodes. But anyway, Colossus is walking through space. Space is endless sky, with stars and planets and all the other celestial bodies that we love to talk about there is no ground therefore there is no land therefore there is nothing that he can walk on yet he's walking through space who thinks of that stuff do these animators not say how is this guy walking apparently they do not they just get a script that says big giant walking through space and they draw a big giant walking through space and i'm kind of done ranting about that the sun rays are being blocked by a giant hair and it seems as though the earth is tucked under colossus's beard so, gentlemen, all you married and cohabitating gentlemen, this is like your wife or girlfriend or significant other complaining about your beard hairs in the sink. Turned up to about a million. Blocking the sun with a single hair. Which goes to show how big Colossus is. Whatever Colossus is doing is causing earthquakes, and Superman sees the cosmic giant and he has to fight the creature off. Basically, Colossus is playing marbles with the Earth, and he just flicks it, and he's sending the Earth careening out of the solar system. And this is very Silver Age, as Superman pushes Earth back into orbit. At which point, Colossus just takes the Earth and puts it in a bottle. Where does a monster the size of Colossus get bottles that big that can encapsulate a planet? Without shrinking it, mind you. At least Brainiac, when he formed, when he captured the bottle city of Kandor and every other bottle city that he, cre- that he captured, at least he shrunk them into the bottle. <clears throat> Colossus has pretty much taken the Earth as is. So Apache Chief responds, and he, apparently he just can grow large enough so that he is on par with Colossus. He can just grow and grow and grow, and apparently it has no ill effects. Now, they've shown Apache Chief to be able to grow to about 50 feet high, but in order to match Colossus, he must be hundreds of miles tall. Not an easy feat. And I guess to show that it's not an easy feat, the animation shows that he has to do his enlarging spell several times to get to an appropriate height. And this is all before we wonder how Apache Chief can breathe in space. Colossus we just go with because he's a space giant, and apparently space giants don't have this problem. But... Apache Chief presumably is human, just powered. He still needs to breathe. So Colossus says this is his hunting ground, and we are ignoring the fact that sound cannot travel in space. And basically, he and the Chief start an arm wrestling contest, and Colossus throws him to the side, and the Chief uses some kind of shrinking device to shrink Colossus, and then he falls into the bay without dying. He fell from space into water and lives. That should tell you how powerful this particular being is. So now he wants to destroy humans, so he starts by attacking a bridge. And Superman goes into immediate action, and this bridge action here is a reminiscent of what happens to the Golden Gate Bridge in Superman in the movie. So Superman catches the bridge, but now what? He appears to be stuck there, but Apache Chief holds up the bridge and says he'll mend it. Which, in a sequence that kind of reminds me of the opening sequence of Apache Chief kind of going under the bridge and holding it up. So now Colossus is after a train, and he picks up the rails, and Superman quickly fixes that. And now it's a chase, and apparently Colossus eventually goes after the Hall of Justice. Smart giant. And now there's a battle at the Hall of Justice, and uh, he sh- shoots Superman with a disintegrator ray. And Superman, at this point, has had enough, and throws Colossus out into the arms of Apache Chief. Who basically just spins... Uh, Colossus around like a basketball, and Superman literally blows the giant into space. Yeah, with his super breath, he just blows the problem away. This episode was a good fight and a fun chase, but really nothing more than that. So, I guess we'll see what the final half hour of uh, this season has in store for us. Right now, I'm going to take another podcast promo break. When I come back, I'll finish off my coverage of Season 6 of Super Friends. Hang around, folks. The Long Halloween, Hush, 
Dark Knight Returns. The Killing Joke. These are all Batman stories that have been talked about and talked about countless times over the years. They are considered classics, and in most cases, that title is fitting. The thing is, Batman is nearly eight decades old, and whilst those stories are worth talking about, there are plenty of other Bat comics that are being a tad... overlooked. And that's where we come in. Hi everybody, my name is Michael Bailey. And I'm Andrew Leyland. Andy and I decided that it was a crime that there were so many great Batman stories out there that weren't getting their due. To that end, we started a show, The Overlooked Dark Knight, a non-index index show. Our goal is to talk about the previously mentioned Overlooked stories and tell you why they're worth your time. The show comes out twice a month, with the first episode focusing on the back books from the late 70s and early 80s. We're starting with the Len Wein run and working our way forward through the books written by Jerry Conway and eventually Doug Mensch. On the second episode of the month, we'll dig into the various adventure comics that were based on the Fox Kids slash Kids WB Batman animated shows because they're really good and hardly anyone seems to remember that they exist. The show can be found at the Fortress of Bailitude Podcasting Network, which is located at www.fortressofbailitude.com. The Overlooked Dark Knight, the non-index index show. Shining a bat signal on the bat stories that no one seems to remember or care about. Because somebody has to. Alright, welcome back folks. All the episodes in this segment had an original broadcast date of October 31st, 1981, Halloween. And at least one of these episodes seems kind of Halloweenish. But we're going to start off with not that one. Stowaways from Space. And all of our synopses are brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Captain Hood and the Wonder Twins meet aliens on an automated space station that has returned from its mission. Something's wrong. There's not supposed to be anyone aboard. The hatch is opening by itself. Not by itself, Earth creatures. An alien stowed away aboard the space station. Make that two aliens, Earthling. <laughs> they sure don't seem very friendly. We are your deadly enemies. And we are taking control of this space center. Then we'll take over all of the planet Earth. Look out! It's a sleep ray. We've got to stay awake, Jaina. Wonder Twin powers activate. Shape of octopus. Form of an ice unicycle. The aliens try to fire a missile on Washington, but Superman stops it. Captain Hood! Captain Hood, wake up! What? Who? Wonder Twins. Captain Hood. What's happened here? It's an alien takeover, Superman. Oh no, they're launching the laser ship. Great, Scott. I've got to stop them before they carry out mass destruction. The aliens then steal a laser ship, only to see Superman stop them by making them fire laser beams at each other. The extra aliens are only holograms created from the main alien. Wonder Wonder Twin Twin powers deactivate. There's only one alien left, and he's asleep. There was only one to begin with, remember, Jaina? This alien creature has the power to create images of himself. But this time, his own power ray worked against him. Now what, Superman? I'm taking our sleeping invader here to an interplanetary court of justice. Right, Superman. Meet you back at the Hall of Justice. 
Would you go easy on the space monkey business, Bleak? <laughs> so we start up with the satellite space station landing back at NASA, I guess. And we have Captain Hood here, who kind of looks like Howard Stark from the Marvel movies. And he's watching the landing with the Wonder Twins. And meanwhile, Gleek is causing some mischief, getting what appears to be an exhaust pipe stuck on his head. So the hatch opens and out comes an alien. And my question is, if the space station is unmanned, why does it have a hatch? So I guess that maybe that's for so all the construction workers can get in and out. I don't know. I don't even know why you need an unmanned space station, but that's neither here nor there. So the aliens are going to take control of the space center because they can, and they fire a sleep ray at everyone, and Captain Hood is knocked out, and the twins change into an octopus, and Zan becomes an ice unicycle, which I'm sure will be very helpful. I'll be honest, if you've never seen an octopus riding a unicycle, you need to check this episode out just for that alone. That's quite the image uh, of uh, Octopus Jaina riding uh, Zan unicycle. So these aliens are attacking Washington, specifically the Capitol building, because that's the probably the symbol of the uh, capital of the United States more so than the uh, White House is. Meanwhile, here is Superman with a very poorly drawn S-shield, at least in the uh, wide shot. It's uh, better in the uh, close-up. And there's a nice sequence uh, of him catching the rocket, basically like a football. So when the aliens leave, Gleek wakes everyone up, and uh, probably the most useful thing he's done in any particular episode. So now there's a laser ship, and Superman chases after it. And the twins are going to help somehow, and... Uh, now we've got Jaina as a pterodactyl, and this ship is firing all over the place and uh, giving us some uh, super feet, some posing, and some super breath as Superman tries to save Metropolis from the ship, or whatever city we're dealing with. And apparently as Zan becomes ice and puts out uh, the fire on one of the uh, oil canisters, because apparently that's the one fire that Superman couldn't get to. He did everything else, but he left this one, presumably, so Zan can take care of it. Well, anyway, Superman got like five of these fires, Zan got one, so... He's got four more to go if he wants to keep up with the Man of Steel. So these guys are obsessed with the capital, and they come back, go back for it with the laser ship, but Superman catches up with them by catching the ship and basically throwing it down. So what do the aliens do? They multiply, and then when they are defeated, they are revealed to only be one alien. And then Zan puts it together. Believe it or not, Zan actually does the math here and reminds us that there was only one alien at the first, and the ray worked against him. So apparently when some kind of ray was deflected back toward the alien, it resumed, It became one alien again instead of five. Well, I think at one point it was up to five or six aliens. So eventually it squeezed back down to one. The alien is captured, and uh, we get a jokey shot of Gleek uh, getting stuck in what appears to be a spaceship. That's pretty much the end of that episode. It's uh, not great. <laughs> Episodes that feature the twins are not favorites of mine. By any stretch of the imagination, but Superman did just about all of the heavy lifting in this episode, including holding the alien over his head in the end scene, so I'm getting tired of harping on how basic these episodes are, but that's kind of the uh, long and uh, short of it. So, we're going to move on now to, I guess this is the most uh, Halloween-y episode that I'm going to cover in this particular episode. I've got the Scaragosta Sea, and our synopsis is as follows. Two marine biologists in a special submarine are pulled into an undersea whirlpool and find themselves in the Saragosta Sea. How bizarre! That earthquake has propelled us into some sort of ship's graveyard under the sea. Gee, I wonder what this place is called. Let's take a look around. It's called the Scaragosta Sea, me hearties. And it's jolly welcome you are. Me name's Kelly. Captured by a group of ghosts, Aquaman and the dynamic duo, Batman and Robin, go after them. Although they have a hard time fighting the ghosts, 
They stopped the ghost from trying to leave the sea in the submarine and saved the biologists. Hang on, here we go. Thank you, super friends. You've saved our lives. We're glad to help out. Keelhaul Kelly and his pirate ghosts will never be able to surface now. Without the power of modern ships, those pirate ghosts must remain forever in their strange undersea world. All right, so we've got a couple of biologists uh, studying in a submersible, studying the floor of the ocean, and that's when an earthquake knocks them into a trench, and they're near the Cape of Good Hope, so this is not the Marianas Trench, so eventually they get sucked into a whirlpool, and apparently the whirlpool sends them to a hidden world under the sea, filled with derelict ships, and uh, we run into some pirates here. The narration tells us that this is an undersea harbor, yet there's a sky. I can't explain it either. Maybe you can. This whole thing is very uh, journey to the center of the earth. Another concept that we've seen visited on the Super Friends at one point or another. So they climb onto the pirate ship and the uh, this is when they learn they're at the Escaragosta to sea. And Aquaman is searching for the biologist and Batman and Robin are following in the bat sub. Meanwhile, they are two uh, biologists are captured by the pirates and uh, Mr. Kelly is going to check things out. I believe he is the pirate and he looks like a 17th century pirate. So I'm not sure if he understands the stuff he's seeing in the submersible, but he is going to. Use it to uh, rule the seas, because of course he is. So Aquaman swims through the whirlpool on the back of a stingray. Apparently he can't do this alone, and uh, here we go. He's sent to the Saragosta Sea. And Aquaman finds the pirate ship and discovers the pirates to be ghosts, and he is quickly netted and tied up. Then all of a sudden, the bat sub just falls out of the sky and basically makes a big plop in the in the water. It, uh, it's kind of funny because you just see what's going on in the pirate ship and then it's almost like the sky pops out of bat submersible and it just falls on the water. So here is an interesting shot of Aquaman getting uh, stretched out, uh, kind of spread eagle, but I guess the pirates don't realize that lowering him into the sea will actually help him. And uh, now there's a fight between Batman and Robin and the ghost pirates and uh, now Robin is netted, leaving Batman alone to uh, face the ghost and I'm thinking maybe he should call someone. The Ghostbusters have not been created yet, so he has no one to call, so so much for that idea. Now, it's kind of funny watching every particular hero, Aquaman, Robin, and Batman, try to physically attack the ghost and go through it. You know, how many times do they have to do this before it sinks in that they cannot physically affect these ghosts? So apparently, even in the water, Aquaman can't save himself from the ropes. Aquaman should be stronger than that, but I guess he's not. Fortunately, there is a nearby swordfish to do what Aquaman can't. So, Batman says he and Robin can handle Kelly, and I would love to see how they're going to handle him as he's inanimate. And Batman destroys the sub's controls, and then he kind of runs away, dooming the ghosts to stay in the sea. Apparently, these ghosts need modern technology to escape the Saragosta to sea. So, now they save the scientists and go on their way. You know, I enjoyed this one. Uh, definitely uh, one of the better episodes in this batch of stories, even though Superman is not in it. My one complaint, if I need to have one, is how many times they had to fail at physically attacking the ghost before it dawned on someone to do something different and, you know, not attack them directly. You know, maybe they need to communicate more. Maybe Aquaman could have somehow communicated to Batman and Robin that you can't fight these guys on a physical level the way Batman and Robin are used to facing opponents. But, but that's my only complaint, really. It was an enjoyable episode, a fun little romp, and, you know, a nice uh, Halloween-type thing. And, you know what, the next episode is not really far behind as far as Halloween goes. I really didn't think about that in my notes because I didn't look at the release date when I was watching these things. But So now we're going to finish this off with The Witch's Arcade, and our synopsis is as follows. A strange witch in a fortune teller machine tricks the Wonder Twins, shrinks them, and pulls them into a pinball machine. Wonder Twins, how did you get so small? <laughs> Just like this, Wonder Woman. <laughs> oh no! Wonder Woman's disappeared into that game. It's that 
witch again. Looks like I better act fast. Wonder Woman comes along and gets trapped in a video game, but they all eventually escape and capture the witch. You're not going anywhere, except with me to the authorities. Where's Gleek? <laughs> Hey, we're at the carnival, and Gleek is riding Jaina, who is an ostrich. You know, it was just a, a shocking first uh, first shot of of Gleek riding an ostrich, and it took me a minute to realize that it was actually Jaina. I think I noticed it when the ostrich started talking in Jaina's voice. Uh, it probably should have dawned on me sooner than that, but it didn't. So there we go. Now we got a scary looking fortune teller here telling Gleek to. Beware of games, because they can turn against it. And I guess it does, because she slaps the glass, scaring Gleek into another monkey. So, apparently this fortune teller's got a whole setup in that booth, and uh, the pinball machine shrinks the Wonder Twins. The, the Basically, the eyes are on the top of the uh, pinball machine, the part that kind of stands upright, which usually has some kind of decoration on it, showing you what the theme of the machine is. And basically, you see the witch's face, and they're sucked into the eyes, and now into the pinball machine, which... This should be a fun time for them if they kind of run away from the ball. You know, that ball is uh, basically um, hard marble, and uh, there's Gleek on the outside. He gets attacked by uh, the machine as well, and now he's in there, and he's stumbling and bumbling on a pinball and getting literally getting bounced around. So The twins are calling Wonder Woman, and I have no objection to this, as who else would the twins call? I just seem to object to random cops calling their super friends, you know, and Navy men and Highway Patrol and everyone who should have somebody else higher on the chain of command. Going right to the super friends. Little Timmy misplaces his homework and he calls the super friends. I'm not sure that anything like that has actually happened on this show, but if it did, you know that little Timmy will call the super friends to help him find his math homework. So now Wonder Woman is at the carnival and Jaina becomes a woodpecker to peck her way out of the pinball machine. So the pinball machine attacks Wonder Woman and she uses her bracelets to affect the machine's rays, kind of deflect them back toward her. And now she asks the twins how they got to be so small and almost a to answer her question, the witch appears in a video game now and shrinks Wonder Woman down and sends her into the game, which some kind of uh, space invaders game with the flying saucers shooting at the people on the Earth. You know, you see a bunch of, uh, you know, circa 1981 video games, like basically like green shapes that resemble people. And then all of a sudden you see Wonder Woman kind of running from the flying saucer as well. So after they escape a car, they go after the witch. And apparently the Wonder Twins and Wonder Woman are the only ones at the carnival. Because the witch has no one else to mess with, even though she says she'll mess with other people. There are there don't seem to be very many other people around. You would think there at least to be uh, somebody around screaming or something. If somebody, you would think somebody would see one the Wonder Twins and uh, Wonder Woman get shrunk, but um, nope, no one else is there. So Wonder Woman outsmarts the, the witch by destroying the machine and basically by reflecting her eye beams at her, and and destroying the machine restores everyone to their proper size. So. The machine is destroyed, and the twins of Wonder Woman are fully grown again. From there, it's easy enough for Wonder Woman to capture the witch, and to finish things off, Gleek pulls down a window shade to write the end. I don't really have much else to add on that one. Shrunken Heroes again, we've done that at least two times before. But at least the carnival setting makes it a little bit fun, and the witch uh, adds a nice Halloween element to the episode. But that's it. The end of Season 6 of Super Friends. And... Gleek's uh, The End sign is kind of on the nose because it's going to be a three years before Super Friends brings new episodes to ABC as, like I mentioned before, the show doesn't return to American TV until 1984 with the legendary Superpowers show. So, next time, I'm taking a week off and then I will have a single episode covering Superman 3, then I'll take another week off, and then after that it's back to the Super Friends with the 1983 lost episodes. So, in the meantime, if you want to send feedback, it's always welcome manascreen at gmail.com if you want to join the conversation over the facebook group just put manascreen podcast your search feed and the show should come up you can also find the show on twitter at manascreencast so 
Till next time, folks. We're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.